Hey everybody, it's Danny. I want to say thank you for tuning in to the Heartway Podcast. And I want to give a special thanks to those of you who are tuning in from really all over the world. We're so grateful that you are a part of our community and that you listen in on an ongoing basis. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, I want to ask you to share this with a friend. You never know the impact that one of these messages can have in another person's life. And if you yourself have been impacted and you'd like to continue to partner with us to keep this work going, Check us out at heartwaychurch.com slash give. Every dollar that you give goes a really long way towards helping us do what it is that we do. Well, we love you. Really hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. You know, it's, I always laugh and then I have to remind myself that it's just God is so real. You know, he places and puts such synchronicity in the room. And, you know, the beautiful message that Priscilla shared was the message that was on my heart as well to share. So I'm going to piggyback off of her because it was exactly what I wanted to bring up. And I'm going to, I guess, go in the direction of, God chose women to hold his creation. And I think it's such a beautiful reminder to all of us that we are connected with that power to create. And we forget that sometimes. We think of ourselves as so small, but when we remind ourselves that we ourselves can create just as God can. It reminds us that we're not far away from God, but actually we're so connected that we too can create as He does. And with that creation, it can remind us of the love because it is through love that we have creation, that we can create. And I think that's the most beautiful thing to remind yourself of is the abundance, the power, the love within you. Don't think of yourself as small. On this day, we praise the women in our lives and we remind ourselves, just like Mother Earth that nurtures us, that gives us life, we too have that inside of us. Even if you're not a woman, you too get to have all of this. So remind yourself of this love and this power that you have inside. My friends, we are all going to go into our centering prayer now. So we're going to close our eyes and you're going to have a nice, tall spine. And let's all allow the palms to face up in this moment to receive. And as you allow the eyes to close, we're going to take a nice, deep breath, slowly filling up your belly nice and big. And then slowly exhaling, releasing it all. Again, slowly inhale nice and big. Allow your belly to expand. And as you exhale, allow yourself to release. As you continue this breathing, Allow the shoulders to come down a little bit more. Unclench the jaw. 
Allow your body to be free and still in this moment. As you allow the body to relax, we allow the mind to relax as well. Releasing all the tensions that we are holding. And as we let go some more, we allow every breath to create more space within us. And as we open up, we allow all of God's love to go deep within us. We slowly release all the walls that we've placed upon our hearts. And we trust in this moment that we are safe enough to open up to his love, to God's embrace, to the power that God has within you. As you allow yourself to sink deeper within this peace, you remind yourself of how loved you are, how divinely guided you are, how protected you have been and will be. It is in the moments that we feel most alone, most forgotten, that God is right there holding your hand, loving you, reminding you that there is never any separation from you and the divine. For the divine resides inside of you There is nothing you need to do to earn this love. There is nothing you need to do to connect with this love. You've already earned it. Inherently, this is all yours. As we affirm this, let's take a deep inhale, really filling up that belly nice and big, allowing those shoulders to go back and then vocally. Ah. Again, we slowly inhale nice and big, really fill up your belly, allow that chest to expand. And as you exhale vocally, we release all limiting beliefs. We release uncertainty. We release the doubts. And as we inhale again, we fill ourselves up with our faith, our confidence in God, our reassurance of his love. And as we exhale, we allow ourselves to really fall deep into this knowing. 
as you silently continue this breathing, take a moment to truly affirm this knowing. Affirm how worthy you are. Affirm how loved you are. Affirm how powerful you are. Know now with no doubts in your mind that there is nothing you cannot do. You and God can create the life that you wish to live. It is only the mind that sets these limitations on us. And with every breath, we have the opportunity to choose to live life through our hearts instead of through our minds. Your true power lies within the heart of your soul. The deeper you connect with this, the more you will know yourself, the more you will truly know the God within you. Let's take another deep breath, nice and slow. Really fill up your bellies. And then slowly exhale. Bring your hands to your heart, place them on your chest. And as you feel your heart beating, allow this to be the reminder of all the purpose within you. You are not here on accident. You are not a mistake. You are divinely chosen to be on this earth full of purpose. Through our ups and our downs, with God, we find our path. We connect with our purpose. But for now, let's just be grateful for this breath that we have and this love inside each and every one of us. One more deep breath together. Slowly inhale, nice and big. Hold for three, two, vocal. You are so loved. You are so worthy. You are a gift to this world. When you're ready, gently blink your eyes open. May peace and love always be with you. Amen. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. It's really amazing. You know, there's such power in the feminine. 
that synchronicity that Gabby was talking about, it, I was just sitting there mind blown, seeing such clear alignment between what everyone was saying as they came up here and then <laughs> what I knew I was gonna be speaking about today. Before I get into that though, may I pray with you? Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the fact that this holiday is a reminder to have reverence for mothers. That even Jesus, before he went on the cross, he said, take care of my mother. That was in his mind because there's a sacredness to motherhood. We ask that you put a hedge of protection around every person in here. We ask that you would move in this place as you already have so beautifully. And as a selfish prayer, Lord, I ask you that you would decrease me as you increase. Because I simply ask, Lord, that, Lord, you would do a new thing. You would do a new thing out of these clay lips so that we can experience birth internally. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Why can't I pray like that like normally? I'd be praying before I go to sleep, and I'm like, that, that sounded kind of amateurish, but whatever. <laughs> so great to be with you guys today. Appreciate you, Danny, giving me the opportunity to speak up here. Also, I have to say happy Mother's Day to my mother. <laughs> Y'all know I'm crazy about her. <laughs> now, we're family, so I need to be fully transparent with you guys. And I would be remiss if I didn't do so been feeling a little conflicted this Mother's Day. I'm so ecstatic that we're having this time to celebrate mothers. But the timing of it is interesting. At the same time that we're opening our mouths to thank them, we notice things and decisions being made systemically that jeopardize women and remain in support of the disempowerment of women. And I've been conflicted, I've been angry, because I've been asking God, how can that duality exist? How is it that we can be speaking about thanking mothers, and yet at the same time, we're disempowering women? And this came to me. It makes perfect sense that that's happening. Because when we say Happy Mother's Day, we're not really celebrating the mothers oftentimes. We're celebrating what mothers do for us. We're celebrating their performance. We're celebrating their utility. But we're not celebrating the person. And you cannot disempower someone's identity while you empower their role. Because it's, what it's saying is, I don't see you. 
I don't see you. And everyone, one of the number one psychological needs we have is to feel seen. And so I'd simply be remiss if I didn't say, when we say Happy Mother's Day, make sure you're showing love and appreciation for the being, because the being was there before they took on the role. And as a matter of fact, they were selected for that role because of the being of who they are. In the same way that it was said earlier, you know, we talk about the power of a role when God gives someone a role. I love to talk about Simon Peter, how Jesus gave him the name Peter, which means the rock. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And so we have reverence for Simon Peter because, wow, Jesus considered him as a foundational initiator of the church. He was a key fundamental tenet of the church being created. But how often do we talk about the fact that God selected women? He didn't select mothers. He selected women to be mothers, to be the conduit, the vessel of all of humanity. And what's the turnover rate in most jobs? <laughs> you ever wonder why God hasn't outsourced that one yet? Because he knows that we can't do it. We, psh, men be fainting inside the, inside the birthing room and we not even doing nothing. We just watch it. And we gonna take on that role? And so that is something vital for us to move forward with the knowing of that. But what amazes me about mothers is the overwhelming amount of strength, inner strength, and confidence it requires to take on that overwhelming task, to embark on that journey of birthing a child. I mean, have you obviously the women have, but the rest of us, can I talk to the brothers for a second? Just a quick second. Hey, you know, <laughs> have you ever stopped and thought about what really goes into that? Surrendering your body to a new event for a sustained period of time. That means you got to give up a part of your identity during that time. You got to walk different. You got to move different. You have to accept the fact that you're going to be feeling pains and discomforts and nausea for reasons that are, in a way, indirectly related to you. You have to take on entirely new activities. You have to essentially enter into a state of surrender to what is occurring. And we talk about Jesus in the Valley of Gethsemane. When Jesus knew that he was going to the cross and he prayed, Lord, remove this cup from me. And he was so stressed that he sweat blood. 
Imagine the fact that women, when they realize they're pregnant, they're, that during that nine months, they are on their way to the operating room. They are on their way to an experience that they know will be utterly painful, that will involve a suffering that the rest of us can't even imagine. That's a massive, <laughs> that's a massive undertaking. We even look at the fact that so many women, so many mothers depicted in the biblical scriptures. We can look at Moses' mother. You guys remember the story about when Pharaoh declared that the first child or the first male son of all the Jewish uh, uh, families would be put to death. And this occurred at the same time that Moses, wait, hold up, let me check something real quick. It was Jewish, right? Yes. Yeah, okay, okay. I gotta talk to Dr. Prada about some stuff, you know what I'm saying, gotta get my, my stuff right. But during that same exact time, Moses was born, and his mother, having just had him, realized that my new baby boy is about to get put to death. And so in a state of motherly strength and surrender and fearlessness, she put that baby in the river. And that river was a metaphor for the grace of God. And she said, the only thing that's gonna save you is grace. And Pharaoh's daughter picked that baby up. Pharaoh's daughter picked that baby up. <laughs> and he said, God ain't got jokes. He said, oh, you're going to kill my people? Bet. <laughs> you're going to take care of them in your house. <laughs> but as an outsider looking in, because I understand that I have to have a deep level of humility being a male coming up here talking about motherhood and the birthing process on Mother's Day. So I promise preemptively, I'm gonna come correct. <laughs> so as an outsider looking in, I just feel like there's such a deep level of inner conviction and a deeply rooted confidence that mothers must have to embark on that journey. But I would like to take a second to think about birth this concept of birth in a broader scope. And I'd like to offer you guys a definition for birthing. How I define birth, giving birth. Being entrusted with breathing life into something so that it can come into existence and breathe life into the world. I genuinely believe that women among the slew of reasons, one of the fundamental reasons that God chose women as being the conduit for birth, for humanity, is so that they could be our teachers about what it really takes to birth something, what is involved in that process, and they serve the reason why we need to have real reverence about this. Forget thank you. We need to have reverence about this. It's because they are surrendering themselves to be a paradigm 
for what it looks like to birth something. Because one of the number one things that it is to be human, one of the number one things to be created in the image of God, it is to be a creator. And they are the paradigm of what that looks like and what it takes. It's a sacred task. Thing is, there are ideas that you've allowed to fall by the wayside. There are dreams and aspirations and goals and passions that you've put in the back seat of your life. You think about them, you recall them, but you don't touch them anymore. And the question I have for you is, what has God entrusted you with birthing that you're neglecting due to a lack of confidence? Because there is a deeply embedded confidence that you have to have in order to go on that process. And it's not a surface level confidence. Maybe it takes a little confidence to get on stage. It takes more than a surface level confidence to birth to be a vessel for birthing, knowing what that entails. And so today, I would like to present you with three inquiries for building spiritual confidence. Yeah, that one. <laughs> but before I do that, I want to take just a quick second to discuss, if you will, the methodology of inquiry. Notice I said inquiry, not question. Because you answer questions with your mind. But inquiry is designed to allow truths to emerge from your belly. To let them come out of your heart. And in order to do that, you can't be so hasty. You can't just hear the question and allow that answer to pop up. That's mental. You got to get present and sit with the question. Allow the question to live in you for a little bit. Let it stir some things up. And as you allow yourself to be still, not answering the question with the mind, the heart will bring forth new truths. And so that being said, the first inquiry, am I really the one doing all of this? Just pause for a second. Close your eyes for me. Am I really the one doing this? When I wake up every day, when I pursue my goals, when I make victories, when I get that new job, when I get that degree, when I make that money, when people acknowledge me, am I the doer? You can open your eyes now. Am I really the one responsible? And see, the thing is, we can take credit. I mean, why not? It feels dope. Like, I mean, I'm not going to sit up here and be like, oh, it doesn't feel good to feel like I'm the one doing cool stuff. You know what I mean? 
y'all being authentic out here. I'm like, man, that's, that's kind of fun. <laughs> but on the other side of that, if we are going to take credit for the victories, then we have to allow ourselves to be equally as accountable and judged for the failures. Because see, truth has got to be there on both ends. It's got to have consistency to it. Can't just say, oh, I'm the best when I'm doing well, and then when it's going wrong, we outsource the blame, even though we try to do it anyway. So which one is it? But before we answer that, let's, it is Mother's Day and they are our teachers. Let's see what mothers have to say about it. Let's see what the mothering process has to say about it. Are women doing pregnancy? Are they making that happen? I mean, on one level, you could say yes. But on another level, think about all of the complex biological processes that are going on internally, that are facilitating the manifestation and evolution of that child. Think about all of the mitotic reactions taking place, the development of all of those organs, its integumentary system, the, the slow enhancement of its ability to experience sensation, its receiving in, uh, genetic data through the blood so that but as it comes out as a child, when it is coming out after birth, it can have a certain level of understanding about the environment that it's going into due to the genetic information it received from their mother when it was in the womb. It's amazing, right? I know. Also, you guys know how long I've been waiting to be able to use the term mitotic reactions? I've been holding that on the back burner for like two years. Like, one of these days, Danny gonna mess around and bring me up here, and something gonna be mitotic about this sermon, I'll tell you that. But it's amazing because all of those factors are happening autonomously. When you stop and think about the fact that this is happening in the mother, all of those reactions are essentially part of the mother's biology. And yet God said, I don't even need you to see it for me to use you for it. It's happening, quote unquote, in and of itself. So is the mother doing it? Or rather, what is the mother doing? She is not the doer. She is the vessel. She is the vessel within which God is doing his good work. The way that I personally like to imagine it is she is the temple. And the formation of that baby is worship. That's powerful. It's powerful that God is orchestrating that. And he's saying to the mother, your job, you play a vital role, a vital role. But in order to play it well, you need to understand what it is. Your role in creation is a vessel. But can we be real? Let's be real for a second. We get excited when we hear that. We get excited when we hear, oh yeah, I'm a vessel and God gonna use me and yeah. 
yeah, you know, we love that. We even shout about it in church. But we go home and our behavior doesn't reflect that we truly believe it. Because if we really understood that I am a walking vessel for the good work of God, that I am being used by the omniscient, all-powerful, everywhere at the same time, I can't even put a name, I can't even put a name to who you are because the second I put a name on you, it's too small to box you in. That God, I'm a vessel for you, but I go home and I'm insecure. I go home and I still sit and think about the same goals and dreams and desires that I've had for years and I don't touch them, that doesn't add up. So let's audit this, right? Maybe we can accept that God gave us our dreams and our goals and desires and passions. Maybe we can accept that, okay, this metaphorical baby, just like a literal baby, is from God. Maybe we can accept that part. But you don't really believe that God will breathe life into that baby. You feel like that baby is stagnant because maybe it's been a long time and that baby hasn't started kicking yet. Maybe you've been thinking about it and saying, Lord, I want this. But because your senses that are showing you what's going on in the external world are showing you what seems to be stagnation or the inverse of that baby growing because that's what you're seeing with your senses. It's hard for you to understand what's going on in the spiritual realm about it. And so how can I have confidence in a context where what I see and what I experience does not represent the fact that God wants to birth this baby, that God wants to even breathe life into this baby. How can I have a spiritual confidence about birthing in that context? And I got a scripture for you. Scripture, Jeremiah 1 and 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. We have these insecurities about that which we have a hunger to birth because we're perceiving it as our baby. Because of the fact that one day it popped in our heads and we became passionate about, oh, I want to start a business on this or, oh, I want to do this or, oh, man, I would really love to be involved in this. We see it as ours. And when we take ownership over something, it awakens fear. Because now we feel like we are the orchestrator of its existence and its growth. But when you realize that God is laughing because he's like, hold up, that's my baby. <laughs> that's my baby. And it wasn't my baby when you saw it in the womb before it started forming in the womb. I knew you before you were even a cell, 
before that baby was in you, before you even started to make that baby, that baby was a thought in the mind of God. Number two, the second part. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. You're questioning an appointment that you didn't ordain. So many times we ask God, God, can I really do this? This idea, this dream, this goal you put in me, it seems huge. It seems scary. And I'm scared to fail. I'm scared to find out on the end of this thing that I was dreaming too big. And had I played it safer, I wouldn't have had this painful moment of self-reflection where I realized it was wrong to jump off that cliff. It was wrong to take a leap of faith. And God is saying, I already appointed it. And by the way, you're hoping for an appointment over here. But the appointment I set is beyond your vision because he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. He said, I know the thoughts I have towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. He wrote a whole book about your baby. <laughs> and you worried about what he going to do with it. And the beauty of this is that it gives us a deep level of confidence because we can understand that whatever emotions we feel about our literal and metaphorical babies, there's somebody, the somebody, that cares and is invested and it is more equipped with more resources than we are to take care of that baby in ways that we can't even imagine if we would just allow ourselves to be a vessel for it. That action that God has been tugging at you to start that, to get back to putting energy into that, he's not telling you to be the doer. He's saying those actions are fundamental elements of you being the vessel. Because I can do whatever I want. God's saying I can do whatever I want with anything I want. I just need you to make space for it. I got all the furniture. You don't even know what type of giant flat screen TVs they got in heaven. I just need somewhere to put it. I need a wall for it. Build the house. Build the temple. Be the temple. Thank you. <laughs> Facts. Facts. No, that's, that's show enough right. It wasn't me. It was me. You'd be getting a whole different sermon. <laughs> but the other element, too, is the reason why we can have confidence about this is because when we internalize that our emotions about our babies, our emotions about the things we want to create, even those God gave us. Why do you give a crap about the things you care about? Why do you care? Why were you not born psychopathic? 
<laughs> Seriously though, you ever thought about that? Where did that emotion come from? Why do I care about that thing? A therapist might say, well, based upon your child rearing and the things that you've gone through, yeah, who, who put you through those experiences? God did. Remember, he formed, the same way he formed the baby, before it was in the mother's womb, he knew it. That applies to you too. Even the emotions you have about it when you're worrying, when you're in fear, that's coming from the fact that you're invested in that baby. But when you can identify a deep-rooted level of emotion and care and investment for what it is that you want to do, that's an indication God gave it to you because he wanted you to be passionate enough to want to act on it. If he didn't need that, he wouldn't have given it to you. He wouldn't have given you the thoughts about it. But God's not a wasteful God. He doesn't waste your emotions. He doesn't waste that investment, even though sometimes it may feel that way because things don't manifest in the way that we want them to. God is not a wasteful God. He uses our emotions. He uses that fire so we can be confident when we go about things, when we roam this world in a state of creation, because our passion is an indicator of God's intent. And his intent is to do big things. He wants to use that baby for big things. You may not always know how he plans to use it, but you can know that he won't waste it. Isaiah 55 and 11. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. My own personal confidence, my friends who know me, they know that I am blatantly aware of my myriad of inadequacies. And yet they know that five seconds later, I'll tell them I'm the best in the world at what I do. I'm the best in the world. I don't know about being you, but I know about being Ryan Daniel Howard. You got the original, there was no copies, brother, promise. <laughs> but that's not coming from me. That confidence is coming from the fact that I know that God can use any vessel that he wants. God can do anything because he is the complete doer. I'm just meant to be a vessel. And if it's God that's moving through me, why can't I be the best? Why not you? Why not you? Everything you want to do, everything you want to be, how you want to show up in the world, why not you? We see it all over the world. There's nothing we, it, it's almost impossible to try to imagine something that hasn't been done already. Because God is greatness. And you can't be low enough for God not to use you. You see, we think that insecurity is us being humble. But insecurity, honestly, is actually an egoic manifestation of arrogance. 
Because you can be feeding your ego by having the tallest building in the city or by having the lowest building. And when you can acknowledge, because a lot of us can acknowledge what God can do in other people, but we can't see it in us. And what we're really saying when we do that is, I don't believe that God can use me in the same way that I believe he can use everybody else because I'm so special. I can't be low enough for him not to do crazy stuff through me, so why not? Use me, God. Do something big through me. Make me the best. Not Ryan. Make what comes through me the best. Because if I'm just a vessel, because that's all I am, I'm just dust. I'm dust that you even sprinkled some other stuff in. So if that's all I am, and you can do anything, do whatever you want through me. These two are going to be quick, but relevant. Inquiry two, does God need me in order to fulfill his purpose? Take a second. Does God need me in order to fulfill his purpose? This one is going to feel a little unsettling for a second, but just bear with me. On one level, you could say yes. Because God, you gave me this baby, right? This baby's in me. So if it doesn't come through me, it's not going to come, because it's not like it can switch from one womb to the other. So, you know, yes. I think you, you do kind of need me since you put it in me. Problem with that thinking, there's a liability there, is that you're applying limited logic to an unlimited God. Luke 19, 37 through 40. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Place peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. God said, I could use a stone with no mouth and no vocal cords to cry out in praise. There's nothing I can't use. As a matter of fact, we'd see in the Bible, Jesus had a love of using people that seemed like they were the last person you should have used. I mentioned Peter earlier, he was a cursing fisherman. Paul, the apostle Paul, who wrote my favorite book in the Bible, Romans, among many others. Do you guys know Paul was a killer of Christians. He was a murderer. <laughs> and we know him as Paul. One who's do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's Paul. God can use everything. So the truth is, God doesn't need you. Sit with that for just a moment. God doesn't need me. What arises emotionally when you hear that? God doesn't need me. 
Is there feelings of not being enough? Is there feelings of fear? I'm not needed. Why? At first, it is scary, I agree. I feel an internal reaction even as I say those words, but anybody who's been in a long-term relationship with a partner knows that there's a certain level of intrinsic safety you feel when your partner needs you. When you know that you fulfill a certain need, that they can't easily get anywhere else, so there's an inner awareness that like, they kind of cling to you. You feel like there's less of a risk of losing that when they need you. But it hits different. When you got somebody who's stable that you know doesn't need you, but they want you. How does it feel to be wanted by God? He said, I'm, there is nothing outside of me. I have, I am everything. Yet there was still an interest in creating you. Of all of the places that he could have put that baby, of all of the, the wombs that he could have used, of all of the people that he could have instilled that desire to enact on that dream. He put it in you, and he didn't need to. He wanted to. And when you understand that you're wanted by God, that you're chosen by God, people who know they're wanted, people who know they're chosen, they walk different. And they walk different not because they have some air of arrogance that comes from the knowing of being wanted. It's just, you know that you don't gotta look for someone else's validation anymore. Even if I don't know why he chose me, I know I don't. I don't know why he chose me, but I could walk because I know he did. I know he chose me. And every single one of us have access to that. When you internalize it though, not just mentally, when you walk in the knowledge of being chosen. Bible says we are God's chosen people. We just messed it up because we started separating. You chosen and you not. No, God said, I chose all of you. If I didn't, you wouldn't be here. There was, so we can feel confidence knowing that God wants us, but we maintain a humility in knowing that he doesn't need us. So we can walk this earth with this aura of spiritual confidence. And last thing, God wanting us is not about our love for God. It's about God's love for us. You didn't earn that. It's your pre-birthright. Last inquiry. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Is it true? Well, for those of you who recognize that that's a biblical scripture, 
greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Well, in order to identify whether or not it's true, we have to understand what it means. Jesus frequently used the phrase, the world, as a metaphor, biblically, to represent worldly patterns of thinking. Remember when I said earlier, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Worldly patterns of thinking, or our learned ways of relating to life. Worldly patterns of thinking are conducive to a fearful relationship with life. We engage with life from a state of fear because we're constantly concerned about loss and disappointment. We live on defense because we've had so many pains. We live on defense about our dreams and our goals and our babies because we've experienced some miscarriages before. And so as a result, that, that happens individually, but it also happens collectively. We've experienced collective pains. So this fear perspective is a, is a worldly mental construct that we adorn when we've lived enough life. But that's the world part. Greater is in me. So what does it mean greater is in me? When it's saying in me, think of that as a way of being that emerges from connectedness with self. Greater is that which is in me. When I am in a connection with myself internally, when I live connected to self, I adorn a state of love. I'm loving towards myself, towards reality, towards other people, towards scenarios. And the thing is, there's only two real emotions. You guys have heard me say this before. We talk about jealousy and anger and you know, glee and curiosity. There's two real emotions because they all derive from these two. There is fear and there is love. But you could also think of that as two states of being, love and fear. So the full meaning or a full interpretation of that scripture is living in a state of love is superior to a state of fear. You hear that and you're like, duh. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> okay, so question then. Why don't our actions reflect that? If, we, if it's so obvious to us that loving states are superior to fear-based states, why do we not adorn them more consistently? Because what we have to understand is, and this is something I've learned from growing up in the therapeutic realm for so long, um, we don't do anything without a purpose. If you have a behavior, if you have a habit, if you have a bad habit, you didn't just adorn that bad habit. There's a reason that you're still doing it. There's a purpose it's fulfilling for you, whether it be conscious or subconscious. So what are you gaining from your fear? What are you gaining from worrying? What is worrying? It's actually a 
mental or cognitive attempt at trying to control events through your thinking. When you're worrying, you feel as if you're controlling the situation, or at least a little bit better than when you let it go. You don't believe me? Let it go. You ever been worried about something and somebody tells you, let it go? You doing judo chop them in the throat so quick? Talking about let it go. Let go of this foot. We choose it because we say to ourselves, if I worry, it means I care. If I don't worry, it means I'm complacent. But let's look at mothers on this. Let's look at birthing on this. Fear and worry are unstable and insecure states that actually harm the health of your baby. There's numerous research that shows, what is this called? There's something called the, I'm, I'm not gonna get into it, but there's something called the epigenetic inheritance study where they, they were able to see that the trauma experienced by grandmothers who had gone through the Holocaust and had experienced what was going on in Nazi Germany, grandmothers who were Jewish, their grandchildren were experiencing emotional and traumatic manifestations as a result of things that happened two generations prior. Because your internal instability creates, in, creates issues with birthing. It creates an unstable birthing environment. And yet so many women are able to have beautiful, healthy children. Obviously, these mothers worry. Obviously, they feel fear about what could go wrong with the pregnancy, what could happen during the birth, what could happen if they lose their life. But there's this unique intrinsic acceptance that they are able to adorn. It's a willful letting go, a willful surrender. And it almost seems, or no, it does seem to contradict the amount of things that could go wrong. But they got a secret. Their purpose eclipses their fear. Because when you stop and understand that the fear is not going to go away, but when you get rooted in your why, it eclipses the pull factors that were pulling you away from your destiny. I can say that with myself, I have a deeply embedded why, because my purpose is tied with pains that I've witnessed, with pains that I've experienced, with having dealt with depression when I was young, understanding what it is to be psychologically tormented in my own self, knowing what it is to feel unconfident, knowing what it is to wake up every day and know that I was being tortured by my own mental state. Psychology is not a science to me. It is a godly mechanism to heal his people. And if I could help one person, if I could help one person, 
and it was all worth it. And so there are times when I think about how hard I'm working right now, being in school full time, getting this PhD full time, doing all these other things, and I'm so tired and I'm exhausted, or I experience challenges and disappointments. Anything that I experience in my life, I imagine one person looking at me and saying, thank you. It was because of you I didn't pull that trigger. He used you to help me. And I don't know who that person is, but I'm damn sure gonna make sure that I'm there for them when God calls me to be. And that eclipse is what else I gotta go through. So I want to leave you with this one message. Romans 1 and 20. As you think about the things that God has inspired you and called you to birth. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that people are without excuse. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so people are without excuse. People will see God's face in the things that he called you to create. It's bigger than you. Do it. I don't know what it is, but do it. Act. Be the vessel. Because there are places that God wants to show his face. And it will be manifest through what is created through you. And so move forth in a state of spiritual confidence, knowing that God will make it happen. Thank you. We love you, Hartway. Thank you so much. Happy Mother's Day. See you next Sunday. <laughs>